And welcome to the Actual Astronomy Podcast. My name is Chris, and joining me is Shane. This is our 140th episode, and we are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How are you today, Shane? I am pretty good, Chris. How are, how are you? Yeah, doing pretty good. Just realized when I was doing that that I forgot to put the intro in there, but I think I, I, think I ad-libbed it okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a reflex now. <laughs> almost, almost, but I went to look just for my own well-being at my notes and they were not, they were not there. So, uh, so yeah, so we're going to talk about the objects to observe in the August, 2021 night sky in this episode and the best event for the month. What do you think? Well, it's, uh, it's usually the showpiece event for August and, uh, it really lines up well with the the moon, uh, this year and that's the Perseid meteor shower. Um, yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's one of the, you know, it's, it's really the second best meteor shower of the year, but it, you know, for us Northern folks, it, it really is probably the best one in terms of comfort because it's not too cold outside. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully by the time there's a meteor shower, I'm able to have a shower. We got the hot water heaters coming. So <laughs> fingers crossed. All right. So we'll do a bit of a planetary roundup first. You know, we'll get out the uh, the solar system lasso. Uh, we have uh, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, all lost in twilight. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so they're they're not really that visible right now. You can probably ferret uh, some of them out, but uh, we're we're going for stuff that people can actually uh, see relatively easily. Uh, but Jupiter and Saturn are coming into opposition this month, which is uh, which is pretty great because that means they're going to make their best appearance for 2021. And mm-hmm. it's nice to see them in the summer. They're actually pretty high, like considering like it's summertime and uh, they're in a good part of the sky of we're uh, getting over into Capricornus and Aquarius area. And yeah. uh, that's going to be good and viewable. Yeah. You know, that was one of the downsides last year is they were a little, a little too low in the sky, really, at least up here for any serious magnification. Um, but they're getting slowly, you know, higher in the sky each season here as they move into the fall and eventually winter. Um, but I mean, I'm super excited for this month. There's a lot of really cool planetary stuff happening. And just like what you mentioned, like Saturn and Jupiter are, you know, starting to become, uh, observable a little earlier in the evening, which yep. is awesome. And, uh, I'm super excited. Yeah. And um, we have Uranus and Neptune coming up in the morning sky and they're starting to, uh, make their appearance, uh, high enough to, to warrant uh, telescopic observations on their own. Although, I think with all this smoke that many of us are experiencing, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult to kind of ferret those out of the uh, of the murk. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Canada and the United States uh, is experiencing like well, at least around here, high altitude smoke in the atmosphere, and really every single night for like almost three weeks now, uh, or right around that mark, has been just you really can't do any observing. The only thing maybe would be the moon, you know, because we've talked about it, I think last week, how the smoke actually kind of filters some of that brightness of the moon, which actually helps a little bit. But, um, you know, other than that, uh, I guess the kicker too is, is we really haven't had much cloud at all. It's actually been clear and it would be great observing if it wasn't for the, uh, the smoke, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm going with the, uh, I heard this somewhere, maybe not quite this way, but I'm calling it ashtray skies oh okay yeah that's appropriate <laughs> yeah it's really it's really not great we're, we're fortunate though we're not really having much the way of ground level smoke and yeah. and the air seems relatively fine like like we haven't had any like air quality or poor air quality alerts I think a couple of days it got up a little bit high but 
for the most part, we're at a moderate or, or sort of normal levels. Mm-hmm. I think we're probably at levels that would be akin to um, like major cities probably is, is probably what our air quality is, is like usually our air quality reading is like a one or very good, or maybe you might get a two or a three on some, some odd days. But, uh, mm-hmm. but I think the worst we've been is like a four or maybe one day there was a five or something like that. So not, not the best, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. There's certainly peeps, there's some areas that are much worse than us where they do have like air quality issues going on. So, yeah. um, we're, we're fortunate in that regard. I hear though maybe some rain coming for some of the uh, the the burning areas on uh, on maybe Sunday or Monday or something like that. They said oh, the good. end of the long weekend, so we're chances of showers here where we are in the middle of Saskatchewan tonight. So fingers crossed, maybe we will we will get some. But uh, yeah, sort of moving on to these planets. Yeah, let's get going. Uranus on August first. Uranus is going to be one point eight degrees away from the moon, which could be super cool because even with the uh with the smoke in the air if you put your binoculars on the moon and kind of put them in the bottom left the brightest star that you'll see sort of towards the upper middle right is going to be uranus and that's going to be in the in the morning sky i'm sort of reading this here uh you know sort of early morning hours probably like around um you know maybe uh, two o'clock in the morning <laughs> would be the best time to see it between maybe two and four a.m um, but yeah, I mean, that could be a good opportunity. Uh, I think that, uh, that Uranus and the moon get as close as 1.8 degrees. Uh, but I think from here we, we see them, uh, maybe a few degrees apart or something like that. Okay. Well, and, and, you know, we've mentioned this in the past, like when they're, when, when we have these alignments where the planets appear close to the moon, the, the, like, not only is it kind of a neat thing to see through optics, but it just makes it easier to find some of these planets. And Uranus is one of the planets that sometimes is a little challenging to locate because it really does look like a star in, in a lot of optics. And it doesn't take on like a globular shape the way, um, uh, like Jupiter does and like kind of the, weird shape that Saturn takes on with the rings, uh, through binoculars. So great opportunity to find Uranus if you've never seen it before. Yeah. And then on August 2nd, we have, uh, Saturn's opposition. Yeah. Are you going to stay up for that and observe it? Uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll probably take, uh, take a look at it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty big into observing Saturn just, just mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, it's such a phenomenal planet, uh, you know, to take a, to take a look at. So, um, how about yourself? Are you going to take a look at it? Yeah. Yeah. I plan to, uh, unless the, the weather or skies don't cooperate, but yeah, I love, I love Saturn and it, you know, Saturn is such a cool planet. Like it's not, as dynamic as Jupiter in terms of, you know, the cloud patterns and, you know, the great red spot and and how all of that stuff changes every season. And and even throughout the season, Um, Saturn is a little more static than that, although it has some variation. Uh, I never get sick of looking at it. And the very first time each planetary season that I look at Saturn, I pretty much spend the whole night looking at it and uh, just you know, I'm always amazed at the rings and, and then the detail on Saturn is a little more subtle to pull out. So, you know, it can be a little bit more challenging, but I, you know, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. So it's going to be in Capricornus, which is, uh, sort of just, you know, it's like an early autumn constellation really. And, uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, uh, quite visible, uh, around the midnight hour because, you know, when planets are at opposition, it means that they're rising, uh, pretty much at sunset 
and they're setting pretty much at sunrise. Um, so that means that like best visibility is going to occur and best visibility will occur when they're highest, when the planet is highest above the horizon. So that's going to happen like sort of around midnight or, or just prior. So, um, you know, people can kind of be on, be on the lookout for that. So yeah, I, I look forward to that. Hopefully, uh, get a telescope out and, and get focused on it. I got some, uh, lot, lots of work on the go and lots of, uh, astronomy projects on the go here. So, <laughs> so we'll see exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a little challenging to balance everything. Um, if anybody is taking a look at Saturn that night, also remember that you will probably be able to see some of its moons. So if you identify what looks like stars around Saturn, uh, check your, your planetarium software or, or websites on the internet to see if you identified any of the uh, brighter moons around the planet. Yeah, so we have what's the what's the largest moon? That's Titan, isn't it? Titan is often visible. Uh, Rhea can be picked out. Uh, I think Dion. Uh, there's yeah, there's four or five. Depending on your aperture, you know what yeah. you're using. Uh, you'll you, then you know there'll be a varying amount of moons that you could see. So yeah, um, but they they are easily mistaken for stars. Um, yeah, yeah. Enceladus. That's the other one. I think. Yes, yeah, I yes. can see uh, Rhea. Well, Titan, Rhea. Tethys, Dione, Enceladus. I get them all. Anyway, th those are like the main ones. I think, like you said, there's five of them that you can see. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So yeah, should be good. You're going to try to uh, make some observations there as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What what day is the second? That's going to yeah, be... Yeah, I was just like wondering that. Is that Monday? a work day? Yeah, Monday. Sunday or Monday? Anyway. So, Monday. Hopefully it's Sunday. Um, well, tomorrow... Uh, it'll be Monday. Yeah. Monday. Monday is the second. There we go. Yes. Right. So yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be pretty good. Yeah. We'll see what happens. And then on August 8th, we have the new moon, not just any new moon, Chris, but we're going to go out observing at a dark sky site, new moon, which yes. we haven't done in a long time. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited for this. Yeah. I'm really sort of disappointed at the smoke because yeah. we've kind of had this one on the, in the works for a while. And yeah, we're going to get together and go do some astronomy, but, uh, yeah, with this smoke, like I said, hopefully these, we get some of these rain systems that pass through one of them looks pretty substantial. Like, you know, astronomy is one thing, but you know, uh, people, plants, animals, like people yeah, are suffering yeah. and in other areas, we're actually not, it's the air is reasonably okay here. Um, but we have had evacuees like in our city, we're that close to where these things are happening. So yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the skies and everything improve because those fires get extinguished one way or another and, and, uh, and everybody's uh, much happier. And then of course, we'll have the, the small side benefit of having uh, clear and transparent skies, but, uh, I'm not holding my breath for it. Unfortunately, I think that we're in for probably yeah. another few weeks of this. Yeah, I think you're right. Unfortunately. Um, and, and unfortunate for like the real reasons that you mentioned, the astronomy is just a nice to have, but, um, you know, maybe things will work out. Uh, if they don't, I guess we'll have to target September for some observing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm getting ramped up, uh, for, for an observing site. So, um, yeah, by, by September, I should be, should be good to go there. And August 9th, the next night, there's a double shadow transit, uh, on Jupiter, of it, you know, and that's when the moons of Jupiter pass in front of its uh, disk and they cause these little uh, sort of look like little black circles to appear. And those are the shadows of, uh, of the Galilean satellites. Um, starts 
when Jupiter sets in Saskatchewan. So we're not really going to see it, but should be visible from uh, Hawaii and in Japan. And we say that because, you know, we, we do have listeners sort of from, from all over. So yeah. uh, people in other loca- locations should be able to, uh, to see it. This, this is a decent month too, for shadow transits on Jupiter. So we'll mention, I think at least one more. Um, and I, these are always cool things to observe. You know, again, I've seen kind of like my comment about Saturn. I've seen Saturn a lot, but I still love going back to it. Uh, I've seen the shadow transits before, but they're still really neat to observe. And, mm. you know, first of all, just see if you can identify them. And for this, you'll need a telescope. I don't believe any binoculars will, uh, no. will resolve this for you, no. but, um, even modest apertures, like you don't need a huge telescope to see this. Like I think a three inch refractor oh, yeah. would show that quite oh, well. Easy. Easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, even my $80, 80 millimeter F5 refractor, um, is good enough that like, I always like to use the example of, of my cousin, who's, who's uh, a very observant person. I should put it that way, but he's, he's, I don't think it's any knock to say he's not really an amateur astronomer though. He's, he's come out observing with me lots. Um, I was set up one night and he'd probably look through my telescope only a dozen, maybe two dozen times max. And at that time, anyhow, and he like walked up, looked in, he was like, oh, there's a shadow transit happening. Like he recognized it for what it was um, without any, without any prompting or anything. So yeah, like you said, with a three inch, you'll have no problem seeing it. If somebody is um, doing lots of observing, I, I think like a 60 millimeter or so, um, you would definitely be able to pull them out. I've definitely seen them in my 60s. So doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a fun event to observe. So check it out if you can. Yeah. Very good. Then we have uh, sort of our, our main event for the month, the, uh, the Perseid meteor shower, which, which really takes place over, over a number of nights. And uh, I, I've kind of marked it here as the 11th, 12th and 13th of August, because, and in fact, you know, you can see it probably even, even now we're recording. Oh, yeah. 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 You, yeah. You like if, usually like two weeks on either side of the peak for a meteor shower, you're going to see increased activity in the sky. If you're out at night looking up. Um, and, and this, like this year coincides quite nicely with the new moon. So, you know, the moon can, because of its brightness can actually kind of take away from a meteor shower because you may not see as many of the fainter meteors because the moon is just so darn bright. Uh, yeah. So this year it's really, you know, it's a, it's looking like a good year for the Perseids and, and the Perseids is one of the more active, uh, meteor showers that we have each year. Yeah. Have you ever seen like a, like a big outburst, uh, from the Perseids? Yeah. Yeah. Many, many years ago before I was really into amateur astronomy, I, I was out with friends and it was just mesmerizing, um, just huge outburst. It, it was almost like, you know, I won't say raining, but it was, it was like nonstop meteors for a period of time. Yeah, I, I've seen it once, sort of almost like uh, in, a, in an ideal situation. So I went to the uh, Mount Kobau Star Party. I guess it was about six or seven years ago, or something like that. And uh, often they can be plagued by forest fire smoke because they're really in the in the fire zone. Um, but that year there was there was absolutely no forest fires, and it was it was pretty good conditions. And I driven there. I sort of had missed. I'm not really good at judging the driving distances out here because I'm not. I'm not from these parts, and I kind of misjudged. So we ended up getting there basically at sunset, and it, it had been a very long drive, like a I don't know, like a 12 hour day in the car kind of thing. And I was like, I'm not going to observe. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna sit out and you know make some friends. I didn't know anybody there, so just kind of wandering around chatting with people. And 
I was going to look through some telescopes and I took my reclining chair and we set up, you know, had to set up right at the summit. So set up and, and uh, just my chair and kind of had started talking to people. And I was sort of like just sitting in my chair using my binoculars because I didn't really know anybody that well. And after a while I was like, there's, there's a lot of meteors. So I kind of, you know, kind of mentioned to people like, boy, there's going to be a lot of meteors. So a couple of people started kind of hanging out and just sort of sitting back watching for meteors too. And yeah, all of a sudden the skies, like you said, kind of open up and it was almost like raining for, for a period of about maybe, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. I don't know how many we had hundreds anyway, probably. So, yeah. So, so the Perseids typically will produce somewhere in the neighborhood went during its peak, um, about 50 to 100 meteors per hour is not uncommon. Now yeah. these things are tough to predict, so you never really know, Yeah, but that's an awful lot of activity. Um, and then the other thing that Perseids are popular for is uh, producing what's known as a fireball. And a fireball is just a, like a, a real bright meteor that sometimes leaves a bit of a trail behind that lasts for a few seconds uh, and slowly fades. Um, but yeah, fireballs can, like if you're under a dark sky, fireballs can almost light it up like daytime, depending yeah. on proximity there. They can be quite uh, phenomenal to, to see. Yeah. Yeah. So it was probably like dozens, not hundreds, but it, it feels like a lot when you're used to sitting out and just seeing like one once in a while. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. All right. So uh, how do you like to observe meteor showers? Like, do you have any sort of tips and tricks for just like, like your own observations of them or? Yeah, sure. So um, get out of the, you have to get out of light pollution. You know, if you, if you're under light polluted skies, this just is not worth probably attempting in my opinion. Uh, so you don't, you know, the darker the sky, the better, uh, you, you don't need the darkest skies for this, but definitely get away from lights. Um, bring a, a comfortable chair. Um, so one that kind of allows you to like, uh, uh, you know, like a lounger to kind of lean back and, and recline so that you're, you can comfortably just sit there or lay down and look up at the sky. Um, sometimes, you know, bringing a blanket or a sleeping bag is a good idea. Um, never underestimate how cold it gets. Even if the temperatures on, on the for- weather forecast appear warm, never underestimate how cold you get not moving, uh, when the temperatures are, you know, getting, uh, you know, to their nighttime lows. Yeah. Um, so a sleeping bag can make it a lot more comfortable. Um, and really just look up at the night sky. Um, now the Perseids have their name, uh, Perseid because they seem to emanate from Perseus. So you want to maybe look in that direction. Uh, but really, as long as you're looking up, you will see meteors, uh, that night or, or, or from now until really probably the end of August. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like super important to identify Perseus, but, but if you want, it'll, it'll be in the, uh, sort of the Northeastern part of, of your sky, if you're in the Northern hemisphere. And, uh, and let's see, um, it's really just below Cassiopeia, which is the W. So that, that's sort of the general area, but you really don't have to necessarily identify the constellation Perseus in order to go and enjoy these meteors. Yeah. Great point. Um, in fact, it's the, the only way I've ever been able to tell like where these meteors originate from in terms of constellation is when somebody has, uh, like photographic images that they've stacked and you can see like 20 of them. And, and then you sort of notice that all of those streaks are sort of coming from a somewhat common point in the sky, but otherwise like visually it's really hard to tell. Yeah. I'm kind of there with you on that, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to see, uh, to see quite a few, you know, pretty, pretty good. Anything else to add on the Perseids? No, no, it's just, again, this is a great year for it. So um, if you've, you know, if you like meteors or you've never seen a meteor shower before, um, try to make plans to see this one. 
yeah, and hopefully in, in two weeks from now and when that's occurring, we won't have any more smoke. Yes. I don't know though. Yes. We'll find out. All right. August 15th, we have the first quarter moon and a triple shadow transit on Jupiter that we miss out uh, again here in Central North America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So further, further West. So again, probably Hawaii, Japan, um, uh, you know, and so forth there. Um, have a better shot at this and a, a triple shadow transit. Now, shadow transits on Jupiter are very common, but the triple shadow transits are are certainly a little more rare and uh, pretty cool to observe too. Yeah, yeah, pretty neat. So, yeah, I really like uh, like observing those shadow transits. If if I can, I will always set up a telescope and try to take a look. But uh, yeah, this one uh, is not going to be visible, unfortunately. So I was I was looking in the uh, RASC observer's calendar, um, and on August sixteenth, the lunar straight wall is visible. And I was thinking, didn't didn't somebody Phil or somebody do an observation of the straight wall and send it to us? Uh, I think so. I, I know I talked about it once. As oh, maybe well. it was you. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there was a few people talking about it recently. So my apologies if I if I get get it wrong. Yeah, no worries. But it's it's a super cool thing. Like I. There's a number of these effects on the moon, um, like the lunar X and and the lunar V, um, that that are sort of like you know shadow effects or whatever to observe. And the 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 lunar straight wall is sort of both. You know, it's a bit of a shadow effect, but it also is a physical feature. Um, but like a, a photograph, you know, you sort of see that it's not a perfectly straight line. But when I see it visually, it's incredible how it just looks like somebody took a ruler and a black ink pen and drew a line through a real bright spot on the moon. Mm. And it really, really stands out. Um, So this is another cool thing to see if you've never seen it before. Um, So on the 16th of August, check it out. Um, This is one that would be pretty hard to miss. What I might try to do, so I've only seen it like using my telescope because typically if I'm out, that's what I'm using. Yep. Uh, I'm curious if binoculars would show this, like my 12 by 36s. I'm not sure. I, I'm kind of doubting it, but um, I'd like to try. There. Challenge yourself. Yes. yes. <laughs> Very cool. Is, is it, an, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but do I remember like when you were talking about it before, did you mention it's like an escarpment or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an escarpment that um, at certain times, you know, is really in, in a, like an, in the perfect shadow for us to observe. And it's a very long feature. And uh, with the blackness of the shadow, it just sort of smoothens it out. And it looks like, like I say, like just a beautifully straight black hmm. line. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try for it. Pe- people should know we, our notes are very uh, thin. So we just put this date, this thing, and then we just talk about them. So <laughs> yeah. I always feel bad. Sometimes I'm like, Shane, what is this? And <laughs> he has nothing to work with. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, just, just keep it to things I know. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. And yeah, I got I think I've seen this before. In fact, I, I think you've shown this to me, but I, I don't know that I've actually looked it up myself. I, to be frank, I find the moon really uh, challenging to observe. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I have no trouble finding the moon when it's up, but <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but actually, I always, yeah, I always feel kind of funny saying, this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, actually finding some of the stuff on the moon, yeah. it, it can be a bit tricky. So uh, oh, yeah. any, any sort of tips and tricks there for, for people to get going, uh, make, making some early lunar observations, especially considering the smoke. And it may actually be the only thing that you find, and it may be difficult to actually find the moon yeah. if you have a lot of smoke. 
Yeah. Well, and, and I totally agree with you. Observing the moon can be a challenging uh, feat because like when you're trying to identify certain craters or, or surface features, there's so much detail to see in so many craters that it, you kind of get lost in it. And, um, you know, the, what you, you obviously need like a, a fairly detailed moon map or lunar map to, to, uh, that labels everything that's, that mm-hmm. you're looking at. And then, you know, start at a big feature that's pretty easy to identify and then start, you know, in a way, not star hopping, but maybe, maybe crater hopping to where you want to end up. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it can be challenging for sure. Cause because again, it, it just, there's so much detail and, and some of it kind of looks the same. And then if you're, you know, refractor guys like us and you have to do the left, right reversal, things get even more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Start, start at that big crater that Galileo drew. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> Not sure what, what he was seeing there, but uh, yeah. Not so sure. All right. Uh, August 20th, uh, Jupiter is at opposition in Capricornus and Saturn is four degrees north of the moon. So, you know, here, here we go. We have uh, Saturn at opposition uh, on the second, only a few days from now. And then we have uh, Jupiter on the 20th at opposition. So uh, yeah, pretty good month for viewing these uh, gas giants. Yeah. And really like, you know, Mars is, is a planet that can tease you with some detail and, you know, under the right conditions, you can see an awful lot on Mars, but uh, Jupiter and Saturn are, are really the prime planets for that every season or every year, uh, in terms of being able to see all kinds of detail. So this is an exciting time for me. Um, I'm excited that we're finally getting some darker nights. You know, the, uh, every, every night gets a little bit longer now until December 21st. So I'm loving that because <laughs> August really marks the start of our real deep sky observing. Yeah. Now, we, now we really get into it. Um, but this year, you know, August is also marking, uh, you know, Jupiter and Saturn, um, observing season for me anyway, because they're just visible earlier in the night. So they're just more accessible. Yeah. And, and that night, maybe only Jupiter, Saturn and Mars or sorry, Jupiter, uh, Saturn and the moon will be visible. Maybe they'll be the only things you can see. I know I was at one night, I could see a few stars, but, uh, but I was able to, to take a look at, at these three things, even, even with the smoke that we have. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about the smoke being a good filter for the moon. Um, sometimes filtering, uh, Jupiter is advantageous because Jupiter is super bright, especially if you're using like a large aperture telescope, like, you know, a 10 or 12 inch or larger, um, you want to, you want to knock down the brightness of Jupiter because the, its own brightness will wash out some of those, uh, like surface, well, I shouldn't say surface features, I guess, cloud features, um, on Jupiter. And when you tone down the brightness, you can sometimes see more. So, uh, you know, sometimes the smoke helps you there too. Yeah. And so on the 20th there, when you're out observing Jupiter, you can also take a look at Saturn, which is just going to be four degrees North or above the moon. Um, so that's going to be visible in a, in a binocular or really low power wide field, uh, telescopic field. Like I know with my 80 millimeter F5, I get a, uh, I think around like a six degree field of view or something. So easily fits in there, but most binoculars will give you at least a five degree field of view. So be able to see uh, Saturn just above the moon. And I, I love those sort of moon and planet pairings, uh, in the sky. They're, they're always just super cool to look at. So amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, I give, I give bonus points when Saturn's involved, uh, seeing the moon and Saturn together, you know, with the rings and the craters and, you know, it's just, you're overwhelmed with detail and phenomenal beauty. You know, it just, it's, it's an amazing sight to see. 
we'll get ready for more bonus points on August 22nd, Shane, because whoa, whoa, Jupiter whoa. will then be four degrees north of the moon. <laughs> well, not just any moon. Holy smokes. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is oh, a no. blue moon. The seasonal blue moon. Um, do you want me to read well, no, this? We had five in the spring, I think. Five, five blue moons? <laughs> I don't know what it was, but every moon in the spring was a blue moon or something like that. I think yeah. it was like March, April, and May all had blue moons or something. Well, because I think the media was this when they were basically saying like, if there's two full moons in one month, the second one is a blue moon, I think. No, this is the business of it when it's um, closer. And it, it, you know, uh, as long as it's closer than it's furthest point, I think they were calling it a blue moon or something. Uh, so okay, okay. And anyway, they're, they're all looking like lunar eclipses now, <laughs> like just with the, the smoke, it's all pretty, they're, the moon's pretty red. Yeah, yeah, definitely not gray. No. Nope. So the uh, the seasonal full moon here, or seasonal blue moon, I'm going to, do you mind if I read your notes? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. So noted as the third full moon in a season that will contain four full moons. Uh, this is the original scientific definition, according to Fred Espinac. Yep. So this, this one actually is a seasonal blue moon or, or sort of like an original blue moon. Um, okay. So I just thought, I thought that was kind of neat. So that this one actually would, would be a blue moon um, if we weren't calling pretty much anything a blue moon. Ironically, I don't think it's actually, I haven't even heard it being mentioned as a blue moon in the media so far. So it, it's very strange. That's kind of like the original meaning of a blue moon um, you know, has sort of morphed into something else. And now like the, that, that sort of original condition is actually set up and going to occur and, and no one's going to actually take it. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well. So there we have Jupiter and uh, sitting there just four degrees North of the moon on that night. So that'll be, that'll be pretty cool because Jupiter is just a couple days past opposition or sort of it's full uh, full, full sort of phase night. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be right in that same sort of five degree binocular field, or maybe a super low power, rich field telescope field of view. Yeah. Pretty neat to see our moon in conjunction or like in the same field of view as the Galilean moons as well. So that that'll be a neat observation. Yeah. So you could actually see five moons Yeah, near Jupiter. <laughs> One of them will be ours though. <laughs> Yeah, one of them really isn't that close. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not. Uh, I, I think there's that fifth moon of uh, of of Jupiter, Amalthea. Amalthea. Anyway, that was discovered by E. Barnard in the late 1890s. I don't know if you remember the story on that. And no, no. He he was working at uh, Mount Lick Observatory. Sort of sadly enough, uh, speaking of fires, uh, Barnard's cottage that he lived in while he was there burned down. I think last year, the year before, in a, in a fire there. Unfortunately. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I'd been there actually a number of years ago when I was working in Silicon Valley. Um, but he'd, he'd been arguing, I think, with the observatory director to get time on on the 36-inch uh, refractor that's there. Uh, I think that was the instrument anyway. Anyway, so he eventually got time on the telescope. And I, I, I want to say it was like the first name. Maybe it wasn't the first name in my head. It makes a better story. It was the first name. But in, in, you know, within one of the first sessions that he was, he was using that instrument, he actually discovered this this fifth moon of, uh, of Jupiter, I think it was the last one, last moon in the solar system, uh, discovered visually. I could be wrong on that, but I, I think that's, uh, that, that's the story anyway. Pretty cool. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, 
you can't see Amalthea with your eye unless you have a 36 inch uh, Clark telescope on top of a, a mountaintop. Unfortunately, oh, just, just 36 inches. Hey, something like that. <laughs> I, I think maybe, maybe you could do it. I'm sure somebody out there is going to send us a photograph taken with an eight inch McCassa grain or something, but, uh, but seeing it visually, I think, I think you need, I think I, I know somebody who saw it with a 17 inch telescope from their, from their roof, um, top observatory, but, uh, yeah, that's the only person I, I know who's seen it. All right. Uh, August ends kind of the way it starts with Uranus and the moon really close together in the sky. They're about 1.5 degrees apart. I think they're actually fairly close here. I think we see them about three degrees apart in our sky. So we sort of start at the month, I think on August 1st um, with Uranus and the moon, just about 1.8 degrees far apart, another 1.5. And here they're, they're fairly close. So you can actually uh, track, uh, track Uranus down. It will be sort of uh, above and to the left or to the north uh, east of the moon on that night. If you put the moon in your field of view, uh, the bright star above and to the left is going to be Uranus. Very good. So two opportunities to easily locate Uranus uh, in August. Yeah. And then on August 30th, we have the last quarter moon. I see you're highlighting this thing that I put next. So well, I'm 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 looking this up. I have no idea what this is. <laughs> so I hadn't seen this before either. So so I think I've mentioned this before. I'm taking on the uh the observer's calendar uh, editorial ship. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going to be a volunteer editor for the uh, RASC observer's calendar. And uh, as, as part of that, I've been following things along and paying a little bit more attention to what's in the calendar. And I was looking at August and there's this thing called the lunar Curtis X or sometimes called the Curtis cross, oh. uh, which is visible. It's going to be visible on the 31st. And it occurs around the last quarter. So this is going to be visible uh, in Canada. And I, I looked it up uh, briefly uh, before we were recording tonight. And I, I you know, could see people uh, having had observed it. But of course, it's, it's a little bit further along, right? So you're going to need to stay up uh, well past midnight in order to, in order to see it because you're getting into that last quarter phase or get up early in, in the morning, I suppose. And I was like, there's, there's something Shane's going to like, cause we don't have any bright comets this month. So I had to, I had to yeah. find something special for you to look at. Well, I, I, I love these, like these shadow plays on the moon. It's super cool. I've never heard of this one. And as I was looking this up, Chris, so on the same night, so the, the Curtis cross is like, you know, right along the Terminator. So basically everything we've ever said or anything you've ever done in terms of looking for the lunar X, um, same thing applies here. It's right along the Terminator. Um, and it looks like there's also another cross or another X visible that night. So oh, really? it's, it's the Tycho cross, which is oh. just kind of follow the Terminator along. Mm. I will, uh, I'll send you a link here, Chris, and right. maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Cause every month we, like when we do this episode, which is a monthly thing, um, we post these show notes on our website, actualastronomy.com, just as a reference in case anybody is interested in some of the details we've talked about. So we will include this link as well. Okay, um, I see it going up there. Looks yeah, good. Yeah, I looked that up. But anyway, this link has a picture that shows the Curtis Cross, but also this Tycho Cross. So um, yeah, if, if people are interested in a new lunar thing to look for, here's two 
lunar yeah. things to look for. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure how they how they knew they are. There must be uh, things that people sort of run across uh, in the past. But uh, but anyhow, yeah, those those could be kind of interesting. And I was also thinking, well, if our if our I sure hope our smoky skies don't continue for more than another month. That would that would just be really uh, not very good at all for everybody. But uh, I thought if if they do, that could be something to. Uh, to look at, cause I know I've been looking at the moon a little bit and, uh, certainly, uh, yeah, you can do some, some decent lunar observing right now for sure. Even, even with the skies in the, in the ash tree shape that they're in, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, and you know, the moon just has so much to look at. So certainly it's, it's not a bad consolation at all. You know, the moon is, uh, is something that we probably don't spend enough time talking about, um, and, and I know I don't spend enough time observing it to be perfectly honest, but it's, uh, it's an incredible thing to look at through any kind of optical aid. Yeah. And so I was kind of poking around just, just to see, um, what, uh, what other sources were recommending, uh, for, for observing, um, you know, around, around this time and particularly because of, because of the smoke. Um, cause I, I thought, well, we talk mostly about the planets and the moon and, and, and these sort of things. Uh, most things are going to be visible though. I mean, if the smoke is really bad, it, it will impact seeing the, the meteor showers. Um, and then I saw that, uh, you know, and we have no affiliation, but uh, you know, we'd love to, uh, sky and telescope has a really great article on double star observing, uh, under smoky skies. Hmm. And I just thought that was fantastic. You know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of sky and telescope I'm currently not a subscriber, but I have been in the past. Um, and I keep meaning, I keep saying every month, Oh, I got to subscribe again. Cause, um, during the pandemic, I haven't been uh, out, out to the, uh, out to the sh- shopping centers as much. And usually what I was doing is it, I think it costs about the same to buy it off the shelf as it does to, um, get a subscription when you're, when you're outside of the States, which is fine. Um, so usually what I would do is just buy it on the shelf just when we're out, uh, doing our grocery shopping or something like that. But then cause of the pandemic actually haven't, haven't been doing that. And I keep thinking, Oh, I really, I really do miss it. I really think sky and telescope is, uh, is a great resource for amateur astronomers. Yeah. Yeah. There's always interesting articles and, and really useful tools there. Yeah. And they always come up with stuff like this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I was really, I thought it was a pretty cool article. I read it. Um, you know, we don't have time to go through, through this now. I thought, I thought you would find it interesting. I think listeners would find it interesting. So um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they, they keep it up there and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, Sky and Telescope keeps up the great work. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Uh, very timely. Uh, love the title dazzling double stars for compromised skies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Good, good work on them to kind of get out there. And, you know, it's just sort of, it was, it was exactly what I was looking for. I'm like, you know, who, who's sort of doing, doing the homework and, you know, getting something interesting together for people to, to go and observe. So, uh, so I enjoyed that article and, and they put it out for, you know, the magazine you have to buy, but the articles, that article was free. It was good, good article of finders charts and everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, good, good on them. So anyway, uh, yeah, well, you, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to mention, we'll, we'll link to this as well in sure. the show notes. So again, if you're interested in this article, uh, check out the show notes at actualastronomy.com. Yeah. Well, Shane, that's sort of uh, all we have in our in our objects to observe in the August Night Sky episode. I'm not sure if you have anything uh, you would like to add. Certainly, uh, I would love to hear more from you if you wish to share more. <laughs> No, no, this is good, Chris. Um, like I said already, I'm August is one of my favorite observing months because it means darker, longer, longer durations of darkness. And, uh, you know, this year is, is even better because we have Jupiter and Saturn, 
uh, becoming prominent earlier evening objects to observe. So this is great. I can't wait. Good stuff. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting out and doing some observing with you, even even if we're just looking at planets and and hanging out. That'll be fun enough. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.